0: This is the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary. Everyone has their heroes. As a kid, I thought Superman was pretty awesome. I watched him on the cartoons and imagined how great it would be to fly, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. I had Superman underoos, I even dressed up as him one year for Halloween. I had the cape, the big S on my shirt, even the blue tights which I conveniently covered with a pair of red early 1980s Dove type shorts, because nobody wants to parade the neighborhood asking for candy in a pair of red Speedos, even if you are pretending to be the Man of Steel. One problem though, Superman had jet black hair. And at the time I was blonder than blonde, completely toe-headed. So we bought that cheapo colored hairspray you can get at the drugstore and try to make me look a bit more like a Christopher Reeve. Only the black hairspray on my platinum hair ended up looking a grayish-green sort of color. Not exactly intimidating, but it worked for one night of getting candy. And the iconic Superman wisp of curl on my forehead hopefully distracted from the off-tint hair that I was trying to pull off. But truth is, I was not Superman. Did not possess his flying powers like flying x-ray vision or his superhuman strength my biceps at the time resembled mosquito bites more than guns to be reckoned with but still one can wish right but i was always amazed at that superman how strong he was no p.e class no workouts before after school just good old super genes as strength that was inherent if it only could be so easy strength in all its forms is something that we all seek whether it be physical strength emotional strength or spiritual strength as believers and while we want to be strong it's something we have to seem to work for to build up strength and then continue to maintain it ask the guy i see bulking at the gym right now he's doing more not less to maximize his strength the natural state is to atrophy to slip into weakness if we're not intentional Striving for strength keeps us in check as people, as we realize that God is strong and we are not, and he becomes the source of strength in our weakness. Paul coming to conclude on this point in Second Corinthians, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because then God's power is what we're depending on. And while not exactly fulfilling our childhood dreams of being a man or woman of steel, His power is somehow perfected, even in our weakness strength especially in the spiritual sense it's something we look at today on the podcast as we catch up with saul in damascus in his pre-paul days where his mission to round up and cart off the christians there was met with another plan a divine plan as god strengthens this former opponent of the gospel to be a formidable force for team jesus let's get started saul had been blinded by the light a few days prior Jesus stopping him before he entered the gates of Damascus to cart off any that he found there to be of the way, Christians who proclaim Jesus. And Jesus spoke to Paul, asking why he was persecuting him. And Saul surrendered to Jesus, three days without food or drink or sight. Then the Lord divinely guided a certain disciple named Ananias to the home where Saul was hunkered down praying. Saul had a vision that a man named Ananias would come and lay hands to restore his sight. And Ananias heeded the call and something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Saul, the former Gestapo sent to eradicate the church, instead arose and was baptized, identifying himself publicly that he was a believer washed in the blood of Jesus, a new creation in Christ who was born again. His baptism, a declaration that he too identified as part of Christ's bride, the church. We pick up in Acts 9 verses 19 through 21. So when he had received food, he was strengthened then saul spent some days with the disciples at damascus immediately he preached the christ in the synagogues that he is the son of god then all who heard were amazed and said is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests in verse 19 for three days saul's life as he knew it stopped came to a standstill as he reflected on just how wrong he had been opposing Jesus, the very one that God had sent to save. And in that realization, Saul had nothing to eat nor drink. In essence, the old Saul died there on the road to Damascus, and he spent a symbolic three days in the tomb. The old man saw dying, and on the third day, sight was restored. The light came back in, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit new life in Jesus. And he was baptized, coming up out of the water like a man risen from the grave, or a baby wet and freshly born into this world. And just as all newborn babes are hungry, so is Saul. Verse 19 telling us, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. God cares about our physical needs. We can look at the birds of the air and see that. If he feeds and cares for them, how much more will he do the same for us? Jesus asked. We hadn't seen many birds in our yard this winter, usually even in the cold months we see cardinals and blue jays and sparrows flitting to and fro from the tree in our front yard, but not many birds this year. Well, it's because the bird feeder we have hanging in that tree was empty. I hadn't filled it yet this year and the birds got the hint and went elsewhere, took us off their list of places to eat. But a few weeks back, I bought some bird feed and filled up the bird feeder. And it took a day or two for the word to get out to the birds in our area, and our neighborhood, but sure enough, they returned, drawn by the food that we provided. My wife getting out her book with, to ID those birds that were coming, and the cats glued to the front windows with the new distraction of birds frequenting the bird feeder. The birds were drawn by the food that we had provided, and we enjoyed their return, the joy of seeing them. God provides for us our basic needs, the just and the unjust. We read about it in the very start, even in the first chapter of creation, Genesis one twenty nine. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. God's provision of food hardwired into the garden, a gesture of his love and provision to sustain his creation. And even that simple provision is something that draws us to him. We cry out when we are in need, and he fills it just like newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word that God gives, but also the things of this world, the sustenance that we need, even in babies. Psalm 145 verses 15 and 16 tell us, The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. We look to God to take care of us and sustain us, and he does food draws us to him and he delights in filling and feeding us we can praise him for his goodness and provision and he gives to us all things for life and godliness god had a big calling on saul's life he would become the apostle paul he even told ananias go for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before gentiles kings and the children of israel for i will show him how many things he must suffer for my namesake But God doesn't say to Saul, "All right, enough sitting around for three days, get to work. Or, it's time to hit the books, or hit the pavement, or prove your worth, or earn my favor. favor." The first thing we see in this big and mighty call upon Saul's life, verse 19 tells us, So when he had received food, he was strengthened. God's strengthening this man at the basic level. I imagine the how, how big his appetite must have been at that point after three days. And you know what it's like if you haven't eaten and you said maybe you were hungry as a horse or something, but you could eat anything. We'll see a lot of strengthening taking place on various levels in this passage. But start off with the basic one. This guy just needs food. He's gone without it for three days, and Jesus knows the physical limitations of our human frailty, doesn't he? How? Well, Hebrews 4.15 tells us, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus has compassion on our physical state because he walked among us. He knows what it is like to be tired and hungry and weary. He even took a nap now and again, even in a boat in a storm. And sometimes seeing God's heart and care and kindness for us in the simple things of life, it shows us his heart and good and clear ways. Remember, Saul thought that he knew God all along, but his relationship was based on an Old Testament understanding and was off. So this kind first stop in apostle prep school that Saul learns, lesson one, that Jesus is kind and says, get this guy something to eat. We can get uber spiritual sometimes and think that the more of an ascetic lifestyle of denial of basic needs is more holy. And that misunderstanding confused people. Jesus even pointed that out in Luke 7. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus apparently did not do the ascetic thing, at least not most of the time, but found fellowship with his heavenly Father even in partaking in the good things of life. Of course, Jesus had balance and did not make an idol of those things, as some can and do in our modern world. But Paul was strengthened first with food before the next steps of his conditioning regimen to take him, to make him the apostle Paul. It is true, when our physical state is weak, we are vulnerable spiritually. The enemy can take advantage of physical weakness, hunger, tiredness, things like that, looking for moments of weakness to come in. He even tempted Jesus after fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. Hey, if you're really the son of man, Take these stones and make them into bread. It was a temptation. So for Saul, a good meal, this was the first thing that Saul received at this point of his calling. With his belly full and his physical strength restored, take a look again at what happens next. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? Saul goes to the synagogues, and there was a tradition that guests would be invited to share the word in those Jewish houses of worship. Now, especially when they knew this was Saul from Jerusalem, Perhaps there was no word to them about the conversion on the road. And maybe Saul was coming incognito, originally intending to get the Christians by surprise coming unannounced to Damascus. So when Saul shows up to the synagogue, hey, buddy, here's the mic. But boy, were they likely surprised immediately. He preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed. This was a strong message, very impacting. Now, we might think, but Saul was just converted. Is this a bit premature for him to be teaching? It told us that he had spent some days with the disciples. But also, Saul had studied for years under Gamaliel in Jerusalem, trained in the Old Testament scriptures through and through, one of the top rabbis of that time. And now his eyes had been opened to see Jesus, that actually the entire Old Testament had foretold Jesus. And all those things that he had studied for so many years that he practically memorized, they actually pointed to Jesus. So really, Saul had known the message all along, but in recent days had finally gotten the finishing touches to the gospel. So he is just sharing all that he has always known and likely taught, but now fulfilled in Jesus. It was a strong message. Everyone was amazed. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to two on the road to Emmaus. They did not realize at first that it was jesus and as they talked about their disappointments and their disillusionment of the crucifixion and the reports that the tomb had been empty that morning jesus told those two disciples in luke 24 verses 25 through 27. then he said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken ought not the christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And later that same resurrection Sunday evening, he explained the same to the apostles who were gathered behind locked doors. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, and all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures remember they just had the old testament so they were revealed jesus in the old testament now revealed in what christ had done so here in acts chapter 9 the saul's understanding has been opened too. he now understands the scriptures those scriptures he had long learned and knew that they all pointed to jesus and there is strength to what he is preaching when i went to bible college we listened to pastor chuck smith's old testament bible study tapes Genesis through Malachi, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And though I had been a Christian for a few years, it suddenly all clicked. The Old Testament scriptures, which I had kind of avoided, suddenly realized that they were drenched with Jesus. Now, the second-year students, they went on to the book of the New Testament books. But I was thankful that first year we had to go through the Old Testament because it pointed to our need for Jesus, a savior, a sacrifice for our sin. Take a tip from Saul. Just preach Jesus. It makes every message strong. Strong preaching will always center on Jesus and point us to him. There is much weak teaching in churches that don't preach Christ, just moral teaching or social commentary, but the Spirit will get on board when there is Jesus-centered teaching and get behind it and bring it power. Saul, later as Paul, would write to the Corinthian church in chapter 2 of his first letter, recalling how weak he was when he came to them, but how strong the message was when he chose to preach Jesus. Paul wrote, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. It wasn't Paul's polished presentation or wonderful oratory that made impact in Corinth. And he discovered that early on, as we see in Acts chapter 9, Saul himself has found power in the name of Jesus and declares that in the synagogue there in Damascus. So we may not always feel our strongest or at the top of our game, but if we're willing to step out and speak the name of Jesus, God will come with power. It sounds like those there likely resisted the message, though even though it was powerful and they were amazed. But we read in Acts nine verse twenty-two, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul came out of the gate strong, and a lot of that was that new believer zeal. Something that is very powerful when you see a newcomer come to the faith, just so excited and passionate about coming to Jesus. When they've discovered that Jesus forgave their sin through his substitutionary sacrifice, dying in their place so they can have new life. And when they step into that new life, so many new believers have such a zeal and passion and boldness to share, to tell everyone what they know and believe now. It's encouraging and it's infectious. And Saul takes that momentum and keeps going. And there was likely some pushback there in the synagogue. It says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Saul increases in his strength. How? Well, I don't think this is talking about burpees and sit-ups and morning runs, not protein shakes or creatine or anything like that. Saul increased all the more in strength because he was using his gifts and acting in faith. Saul clearly had a gift for teaching and explaining the scriptures. Something he had studied for years, yes. But earlier in the chapter, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, we read. Ananias had prayed for him and it happened. With the Holy Spirit comes power and giftings. So the training and natural gifting Saul may have had in those areas, now there is a supernatural anointing upon it all. Adding to previous strengths, but now in a way that God is working through and using those things. But even with the anointing and the Spirit's work in and through Saul, we read that he increased all the more in strength. When we use the gifts that God has given us, even the spiritual gifts, they grow stronger. God sees the faith and the faithfulness we have to use them, to step out in them, and he blesses that, strengthens those things even more. In the parable of the the talents that Jesus told, the man in the parable gave various amounts of money, talents, to his servants. One he gave five, one two talents, and one got a single talent. And when he came back, two of them had used those talents to make more. They were multiplied, and they were commended. Case in point So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things enter into the joy of your lord the servant was commended by using the talents given they multiplied and the master was overjoyed and shared in that joy with the servant when we use the gifts the lord has given us they strengthen god begins to use them in stronger and more powerful ways and increases their influence and impact compared to when we sit on them and see no increase Saul is strengthened here in his gifting to reason from the scriptures because he did not get discouraged when everyone in the synagogue jumped at his presentation of the gospel. He kept using his gifts, kept sharing more, and he was strengthened, even though there was opposition. This, of course, took stepping out in faith. And faith is like a muscle. As we use it, it does get stronger. So as we live out our faith in actions and obedience, the Lord sees that and blesses it, and Saul is willing to do it. Now, we have a bit of a time shift here. Verse 23 tells us, Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So from verse 22, where Saul is sharing in the synagogue confounding the Jews, many days pass. And apparently, if we cross-reference the book of Galatians, Saul does not stay in Damascus all these many days. In fact, he takes three years at this point and goes to Arabia for three years. He gives a bit of his testimony in Galatians 1, verses 13 through 17, which says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that i might preach him among the gentiles i did not immediately confer with flesh and blood nor did i go up to jerusalem to those who were apostles before me but i went to arabia and returned again to damascus so when we read in acts 9 now after many days most theologians insert a three-year hiatus in which saul went to arabia before coming back to damascus while saul came out of the gate running in the synagogue in damascus remember God already told Ananias that Saul was a chosen vessel and that he'd have far-reaching impact, the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. So while what Saul was doing in Damascus was good, with a long-term in mind, the Lord needed to do some deep prep work in Saul. So he moves him out and away for three years at this point. Nothing really recorded about it, but a time for Saul to go deeper with the Lord, for his roots to go deep to dig deep into the Old Testament Scriptures, to really study and know Jesus, to lay a deep and firm and solid foundation for years of fruitful ministry. There are seasons where God needs to prepare us, and He takes time to do so, to build into us the foundation and the hardware needed for what He has called us to. We see this pretty consistently in Scripture. Moses, on the backside of the wilderness, years of prep before leading a nation through the wilderness. David, years as a shepherd, leading and protecting sheep, God strengthening and preparing him along the way. At the conflict with Goliath, David even pointed to the prep God had already done in strengthening him for that particular battle. And Saul said to David, now this is King Saul of the Old Testament, said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and uh, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David realized in that moment that God had been preparing him, strengthening him for what was to come now in this battle with this giant. And Saul as well, three years in Arabia, part of God's preparation work for what he has called them to do. Seasons of preparation may be necessary for what the Lord has planned for us, to strengthen us for what he has in store. We may not even see it or know it, but only later realize that God was laying a foundation. The high school at which we used to teach was really big on athletics. And most of the students played at least one sport. And at the end of the school year, when most kids head out to veg out for about three months, the athletes who want to play the next year have workouts each day of summer. Early in the day, some of them getting up to train all summer long. When other kids are sleeping in and goofing off, they're preparing in the off season, working on their strength and their conditioning. So when the season starts, they're ready to hit it. And like all training periods, there are no shortcuts, no quick crash courses. It takes patience, consistency, discipline, and focus. God is faithful to have the foresight to prepare us for what he has for us. And it can take years of slow preparations. And we can wonder what God is doing. But those are important seasons of waiting on the Lord. The quotable verse, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. After the time in Arabia, Saul makes it back to Damascus, at least briefly, verses 23 through 25. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Now that Saul is back, he continues reasoning with the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Only now he has years to consider the gospel. Through meditation on the scriptures, the gospel articulated. And they can see that Saul is even stronger in preaching the gospel now than at the start. So they plot to kill him. This is serious. There is strong opposition to Saul here, clearly. And we can expect that as followers of Jesus, that when we are doing right things or standing for him, that we can and will be opposed very strongly at times, for our battle's not against flesh and blood. But a strong stand for Jesus often comes with strong opposition. How those serving on the front lines need our prayers of support. The plots that the enemy plans against those who serve Jesus. We know someone in a key ministry position gets hit a lot by the enemy and recently was hit in a very personal and targeted way. The city was doing some work on the sewer lines in the area of their home, and something went wrong. And for 15 minutes, raw sewage backed up into their home, coming up through the plumbing in the bathroom. Nothing was able to stop it. So now, weeks of being out of the house, lawyers, contractors, floors up, everything moved out of the house. It's been a very trying time, really upsetting and so targeted not just an inconvenience but a personal attack on their home and on their hearts paul told us to take our stand against the enemy not in our own might but in the armor of god and having done all to stand saul is being greatly opposed the enemy using these people to come against him stirring up their own misguided passions and zeals which saul himself used to be under but despite the plans of man to bring down saul god is in control Saul has surrendered his life to the Lord, and his days are not numbered. God preserving him for what he has for Saul. So the plot became known to Saul. It wasn't God's timing yet to have Saul taken away. How good it is to have an all-knowing God. Nothing hidden from his sight, and he can and does reveal things to us. Sometimes through words of knowledge, sometimes through gifts of discernment. He shows things that need to be revealed to warn us or protect us. Or maybe it was simpler. Someone who knew of the plan was careless and talked about it, or came under the conviction of the Spirit and decided to do right rather than go along with things. And so God reveals the plan, and the disciples in Damascus help Saul get out of town, leaving at night through the walls of the city. Oh, what a blessing to know that God has resources for us when we have none. That when our resources and wisdom and abilities end, God has those resources that we need the disciples band together and enact this rescue plan a large basket out of the walls of the city perhaps this is where the old adage comes from when god shuts a door he opens a window the gates of the city were blocked for saul but god made another escape how interesting saul's entrance and exit to the city of damascus he had been marching to damascus in pride ready to persecute the church but humbled by jesus just outside of the city he had to be led in by hand others escorting him And now, a great while later, he leaves humbly too, hidden in a basket, the hands of others lowering him out. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. And how Damascus has been a place of humbling for Saul, both as he came in and now as he's going out, upon entering and upon leaving, but stronger in his humility to be used by God. From there, Saul finally heads back to Jerusalem. It's been a few years now, most likely. Saul had left with letters of authority to bind the Christians in Damascus. But he had gone MIA, never returned with those believers. So going back to Jerusalem is a pretty big thing. I wonder what things have changed. Had they given up on him ever returning? I mean, Saul had left with everything, at least in man's eyes, and now comes back with nothing. He left with authority, a mission, a name, a reputation. He left with his influence. He left as part of the Sanhedrin, probably had a life in social circles. But he's been MIA for at least three years. He probably comes back with nothing, at least from man's perspective. But perhaps this is what Paul refers to years later when he writes to the Philippians in chapter 3. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church concerning the righteousness righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. Saul comes back with nothing, but richer for it with all he now has in Christ. The 1922 hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus, puts it this way. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread away. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. Saul had chosen Jesus and returns to Jerusalem for the first time, likely quite empty-handed. We see in verses 26 through 30, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. It's understandable why the church in Jerusalem may have hesitated, fearful that this was a trap. Maybe Saul pretending to be a believer to infiltrate and pick up where he had left off, the persecution again. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement, we last saw him when there was a lot of giving going on in the church at the end of Acts chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6. Here he comes alongside Saul. He gets to know him and vouches for him, bringing him to the apostle. Oh, there is strength in fellowship. We are stronger with others. Solomon observed in Ecclesiastes, Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Paul would later tell the churches in his letters how we need one another in the body, and that the gifts of others edify us, build us up, strengthen us. We are stronger when connected with other believers, and Barnabas is that link for Saul when they are hesitant to receive him. And the script repeats itself as Saul gains his voice in Jerusalem. The Hellenists, these are the Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Jews. They see this strength in Saul as he disputes against them, this boldness to declare Jesus. So another attempt to kill him, and another group effort to get Saul out of there, this time to Caesarea, and then from there to Tarsus. This is a key move. Saul is from Tarsus and when you piece together scripture you see that he goes home to tarsus now for 8 to 12 years this would take tremendous strength living out our christian faith at home in the most familiar settings that's a real test Jesus himself headed home to Nazareth, and Mark tells us, And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he, which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Sure, it takes a lot of strength to minister the gospel wherever the Lord calls us to do so. We need the power of his Holy Spirit to be his witnesses to the end of the earth. But living out our faith day to day, right where we are, in our homes, at our jobs, in our communities, that requires strengthening. And that is where working out our faith really seems to be tested. So for the next decade or so, that is where Saul goes. Not on some exotic, exciting missions trip, he'll do those later, but home to Tarsus. Tarsus was a university town, a thinking town, where he'd be strengthened in ministry and the message, refining how to communicate the gospel in response to even the toughest minds and hearts. And all the while, abiding in Jesus, so that he would bear much fruit. As we abide in him, we are strengthened. This man had been Saul of Tarsus, then Saul the persecutor, then Saul the convert, then Saul the preacher. But he has not yet Saul the apostle in the fullest sense. But in this faithful season of going home, that transformation would take place. And we don't read about this season. It seems like the silent years. But even when we wonder if the Lord is doing anything, as we faithfully abide in him, his life is working in us, making us into vessels for his glory. (laughs) We'll finish up in verse 31. It says, "Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied." The church was stronger in this season. If we go back to the start of the chapter in Acts 9:1, when Saul was headed to Damascus, the church was persecuted in fear, a target apparently weak. It was not smooth sailing. And yet Luke tells us in verse 31 that they had peace partly because Saul was no longer out hunting, but also because when we learn to trust God even in the hard seasons, we find a peace that surpasses our understanding, a peace that the world cannot give. These Christians had that sort of peace, not based upon their circumstances or their feelings, but a strength of peace that could navigate through any season. Some of the strongest churches and believers are found in places of great hardship and times of persecution and uncertainty. And like the churches here in verse 31, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they are multiplied. With Jesus, we can stand strong in any season, in any circumstances, in any opposition, to thrive, not just survive. Perhaps this is a season of strengthening for you and I, in which God is doing a deep work within us, all for his glory and kingdom may you and I find the encouragement to abide in him, to receive the strength he wants to impart for whatever he has. Perhaps your strength is tapped out right now, like the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation to whom Jesus had this message, I know your works. See I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Like the church of Philadelphia who had little strength, God sees you and will come through for you. And strength is something that we all need to fully live out our faith. And it's in that vein that i pray paul's prayer that he said over the ephesian church for this reason i bow my knees to the father of our lord jesus christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.